Hello and welcome to another Dairy Dialogue podcast as we approach the end of March. It's Mother's Day in the UK this weekend. I know that's a different day than in some other countries. And I've already heard complaints that this year it's only 23 hours as the clocks spring forward here in the UK at the same day this year. Bad planning by someone and I'm sure we'll hear all about it again on Father's Day. I'm Jim Cornell, editor of Dairy Reporter, bringing you dairy news from around the world. If you do have news for us, just head on over to dairyreporter.com, head to the contact page and get in touch. We'd be more than happy to hear from you. Our roving reporter Beth Newhart has been at Pro Food Tech this week, so I'm hoping there will be something from that event next week for you, partly because I have no idea what I have lined up for next week yet. If you're a regular listener to the program, first of all, thank you. And second, you might remember last month I mentioned Valentine's Day's heart-shaped cheese. Well, this week we're talking about a blue cheese Easter egg. I'm not sure if the Easter Bunny will be leaving any of those around. I'm not sure if the kids would accept anything other than chocolate. So on the podcast, we have the blue cheese Easter eggs from Butler's Farmhouse Cheeses in Lancashire in the UK. And we also talk to Danone about the opening of their new plant in the Netherlands. We'll revisit the World Food Poland event held in Warsaw recently as well for an interview with BioGrowing on their probiotic yogurt mixes and their other products. And we also have a weekly look at the global dairy markets with INTL FC Stone. But first this week... French headquartered global dairy company Danone has officially opened its new 240 million euro Nutricia Coic plant in the Netherlands. At full capacity, Nutricia Coic will produce more than 600 different products for customers in more than 90 countries. It's also been built with sustainability and the environment in mind, and this week, during the very hectic opening activities, Danone's Senior Vice President Operations Specialized Nutrition, David Boulanger, took time to talk to us about the new plant. I first asked how long the entire project has taken. Actually, we decided to uh, to invest in this facility in December 2015. Yeah, that was the start of this uh, of this journey that we've just completed uh, right now. Always exciting when you get to the very end of a project that's taken so long. Exactly, I'm, I'm very proud as well personally because I was at the beginning of the project with making the recommendation to do this investment in Danone and I see it materializing and now the factory is up and running. So it's always a very special uh, yes, emotion when you open such a factory. The other part of that is that obviously there there are usually little issues along the way. It's nice to have all of those behind you and focus on the future. Exactly. Well, this is a factory that we build, uh, we clearly build for the future. We have put a lot of our knowledge, expertise, technologies uh, and know-how on this factory, which will produce, you know, very specialized uh, product for babies with specific health condition, but also with on the environmental part, we have been uh, very careful at uh, the environmental part and the environment, environmental footprint of the factory, optimizing energy, uh, water consumption and carbon footprint, as well as waste management. Uh, this will be a, a zero waste factory. So uh, with both combined, we, we really uh, open now a, a new chapter in uh, on, of, uh, of our presence in the Netherlands. We've been in the Netherlands uh, through the Nutricia brand uh, over the last 100 years. 
and, and even more. And uh, we opened another 100-year chapter, uh, looking forward to the future with a lot of confidence. And when you made that initial decision in 2015, was it always going to be in the Netherlands or were there other places that were potentially being considered? Well, of course, we considered that a lot of uh, opportunities, but we came very quickly to the conclusions that Netherlands was the, uh, an ideal location to invest close to our local uh, heritage, our uh, original plant cake, uh, where I, I uh, where we believe we have a, a lot of, of know-how, close to our research center in Nutricia Utrecht, uh, which is where we have our global research center, and close to our global headquarters as well in, uh, in Amsterdam. And that's also uh, one of the reasons why we, uh, we invested in, in the Netherlands. Uh, we know we have access to a very good quality of milk or dairy ingredients with our, with our partners, so it was an ideal location to invest in further uh, capacity. And of course, you already have an existing plant there. The original plant is a 100-year-old plant, which is located in the middle of the city of, uh, of Kirk. So the project was to re relocate the activities of this plant while increasing the capacity uh, for, for Danone, building on a full greenfield site, which is in an ideal now location close to the motorway and far away from the city uh, site. And the plan is to give back the land of the existing original factory to the municipality. Will there be more jobs at the new facility? There will be modernly more jobs. Of course, we will keep the employment in the area of Coke, but the plan, as this factory is, uh, as I said, uh, using the latest technology, we will, uh, we will double the capacity using approximately the same number of people. And in terms of the sustainability aspect of it, that must have been, was that a challenge or something that you were quite excited to take on? It was both a challenge and something we were really excited to take on. We have Danone, we have our vision, One Planet, One Health, because we believe not only we have a, a role to help the health of future generations through our product, but there is no point to do that if we don't care about the planet those future generations we live in. So we, in every one of our industrial projects, we, we look very carefully at the environmental footprint. So it is a challenge because this is an industry which is quite energy uh, intensive and so on, but with partners like Veolia and uh, some other suppliers, we managed to really uh, use the latest technology to minimize uh, the impact of this facility on the environment. And this is a plan that will highly contribute to our Danone goal, which is to be a carbon neutral by 250. So will this be a facility where other Danone facilities will be able to learn from it? Yes, we have, uh, we have heavily worked a lot on our quality standards, environmental standards, safety standards. So these are becoming um, uh, new standards we want to roll out uh, all over the globe in all our, all our plants in the world. So this is our flagship and this should inspire the, the other plants of our network. And as far as the products are concerned, you mentioned that it's quite specialized, but what products will you be creating there? We use very uh, advanced processes, manufacturing processes, to produce products which are uh, what we call hydrolyzed, which is during our process, we cut the protein into smaller pieces in order to be better for the children who have a specific uh, allergies to cow's milk or who have gastrointestinal uh, discomfort. So. So basically, we've managed uh, to produce um, those products, which add additional parts in our process, in order to, to produce uh, products which are more gentle or even treating allergy when this is the case. Where would the products be sold? 
Oh, the products will be sold to a various number of countries. We will have, uh, uh, when the plants will be uh, fully up and running, we will produce more than 600 products that will be delivered to more than 90 countries. And, and I suppose in a facility like that, you, you can never really stand still. You always have to be adopting and looking for new new ways to do things in order to improve the environmental aspect that you've already mentioned. Yeah, we, well, at Danone, we always look for innovating and improving every day. So, the, of course, in this plant, it will be the case, like in every one of our plants. Already, we have some projects uh, to even go further in terms of the environmental footprint, looking around in the community, how we can also improve some of the uh, energy we use. So basically, uh, yeah, this is a constant effort from our teams to improve the efficiency of the factory, the quality of the product, and as well as the environmental aspect. Must have been a very busy few days while you were working on all of the opening ceremonies. So we didn't stop the operations, uh, but the factory is running. We are very proud because the factory is running uh, very smoothly, and uh, we had uh, no major hiccups at the beginning, like you always do. Of course, it's a factory that is ramping up. When I visit the factory and I look at the operators, I can see that they are very, uh, let's say, uh, uh, happy with how reliable uh, is the is the factory running. Just a few months after the started. The new plant at Danone, as you heard, includes, among other things, specialised infant formula, which is related to birth, and something else that signifies birth is an egg. And Easter is coming up in just a few weeks, which is why many stores have Easter eggs piled high to the roof in all different shapes, sizes and colours. One thing they have in common is they're pretty much all sweet. One egg, however, that's a little bit different is the world's first blue cheese Easter egg. And it comes from a family-run company in Lancashire in the northwest of England, Butler's Farmhouse Cheeses, which produces a whole variety of cheeses from cow, sheep and goat milk. We chatted with the company's commercial director, Matthew Hall, about the company and, of course, about the blue cheese egg that launched across the UK yesterday on March the 28th. I asked if the company makes products for food service as well as direct to the public. 90% of what we do probably goes into retail or independent kind of farm shops and, and delis and maybe 10% goes into what we'd say ingredients, food manufacture, into sausages, burgers, things like that where, where people are looking for a, a named cheese product to go in with, with those core mainstream items. And where are your products stocked? Would it be locally or right across the country? We're stocked right across the country now. So M&S, uh, we have a, a large a large range of them with those guys. And then we're, we're across as the Morrisons, Tesco, Waitrose, Booths. So all all of the the main retailer, we have products either in their top tier own label as, as kind of named product from Butler's Farmhouse Cheeses or as branded mm-hmm. line. So what what other products do you have? Obviously the, the press release was about the eggs, but what other products do you have? We started cheese making in 1932, making Lancashire cheese. Probably 1990 started to to branch out into other forms of territorial cheese, so Red Leicester and, and Double Gloucester. And now we've got capabilities across hard, soft and blue cheese. So we make three varieties of blue cheese, soft, continental style blue cheese. So Black Sticks Blue will be our flagship cheese there. We make a fantastic goat's blue cheese uh, called Beacon Blue, which I think is one of the only ones on the 
on the marketplace is a goat's blue. Goat's makes a fantastic blue cheese. The milk has that extra sweetness in it. So having it paired with a blue recipe just gives it a little bit more depth of interest. And then we have a soft cheese making operation as well. So we're we're making mould ripened in kind of free camembert style cheeses. So we have Kiddens and Ash, which would be our goat's log, which is widely available within retail. And then we've got Butter Mill, which is just launching next month, which has been in development for the past three years. A cheese recipe that is similar in style to some of those fantastic cheese you get on the continent, which is somewhere probably between a camembert, brie, uh, rind wash style cheese. So our core aim was to try and make sure that we had a rind that wasn't bitter and wasn't like a thick cardboard rind. How do you how do you come up with the new new ideas? Do you just practice it, just try stuff and see what works? As a company, we're we're innovative to the bone. So we're, a lot of the the drive across our our workforce is for new ideas and and how we can take something that's the same and do it differently. Which is where the Louis egg came from. Which was how do we take cheese, which is got Christmas as the biggest occasion. How do we take it into other occasions? Okay. What about doing something for Easter? That's the second biggest occasion for cheese. What about a cheese egg? And went from there. And butter mill was very similar in its development process. There was a huge gap in the in the marketplace for a British soft cheese. And then we kind of benchmarked where we wanted to be. And then you're absolutely right. Trial and error for the next three years of looking and refining and uh, moisture levels and acidities and and just to get the product that we wanted to have really. Right. The benefit of, of doing it with a soft cheese is that your feedback cycle is that much quicker. It's a it's a product that you can tell after four or six weeks how it is. Whereas making a, a Langshire cheese, you've got twelve months of maturation. So your your feedback loop is all, all the longer. And in terms of the size of the facility and the production, obviously you must have, once you started branching out into different cheeses, you've probably had to diversify the amount of equipment and uh, expand a bit. Production-wise, we're still 100% based on the farm. So we have, I guess, three, what we call three centres of excellence, so three mini dairies um, on the same site. So we've got one for hard, one for soft, and one for blue. And we're still making everything by hand. We're still in open vat. I guess from a, a scale point of view, we're still very much a, a small family operator. We just happen to have our volume split across three different varieties. So it gives for us that perfect cheese board, the complete solution of hard, soft and blue with three different milk types of cows, sheep and goat's milk. One of the things we learned early on making farmhouse cheese was that the biggest challenge was the route to market. And that probably still remains our biggest challenge in actually when you're making a, an artisanal product, which varies from month to month, from week to week, depending on the grass that the cows are eating, because we're constantly trying to make the very best kilo of cheese as opposed to standardizing to get the, the most cost-effective cheese to then cut and pack. So the cutting and packing operation, we learned early on that we needed to do that ourselves. And now, of course, you have blue cheese eggs to add to the list of products. So they'll start to be on, on retail shelves on Monday, okay. which is super exciting. For us, one of the big opportunities within cheese as an industry is just continuing to raise the profile of cheese. It's, it's a product that when you speak to consumers, they're extremely passionate about. But the education is fairly limited in terms of what people understand as the number of varieties of cheese out there. We've got 
over 700 different British cheeses. So there's a huge array and it's overwhelming for people. So as soon as you start to put something like a Laxix Blue or a, a Cheddar Easter egg together, you end up getting something that's captured the imagination and it cheeses a talking point then around the dinner tables and coffee machines in, in offices. And I think that just helps as, a, as an industry overall for people to start to appreciate cheese can be that versatile product that's used across the day, across the dinner plate. And th- these cheeses aren't ones that you'd break a bit off. They're, are they spreadable? Yes, it's a special recipe of soft spreadable cheese so that we can create it into a into an egg shape mold without having to, to extrude it or anything like that. So we can stay true to the cheese by creating a, a slightly softer cheese thing that pops out of a plastic mold and stays on your cheese board as an egg shape. Now, I know that they're going to be selling for £5. Uh, what's the weight of the eggs? They're 175 grams as a, as a total pack. And within that, there is 120 grams of cheddar cheese or black six blue, depending on which egg you're getting. And then you have a, a sachet of chutney and a packet of oat cakes to create that perfect combination so that you've got the egg, which can sit on your cheese board, but you've straight away got a complete package because one of the things we found from our, our research was on Easter weekend, people are looking to have a cheese board and a centerpiece with an egg on there is absolutely phenomenal for them. But throughout the rest of the month, it's just a really affordable pack for a little bit of fun and indulgence to buy and have a complete solution really work so that's where the crackers and the chutney got added into that pack to to give a little bit more of a a complete solution really yeah it's a good idea which uh, and and like i said with the not only the idea of adding things to it is a good one but the price is reasonable i think so i think it something that allows people to trial and one of the things which was the whole reason for kind of coming up with the idea in the first place of of an egg was we have black six blue which is a fantastic blue cheese but it's really scary for people to actually try a blue cheese still until you've been given it at a event or a sampling activity or something like that and it's the risk that purchase in store to buy speciality cheese at a premium price point and have 150 grams, 200 grams of cheese that you're not sure you're going to like, you're not sure that you want to part with your cash. So as soon as you put it into a format that's a little bit more accessible, it allows people to venture away from the core cheddar market and to try something different, which is the adventurous foodie side of things that we're seeing much more across the retail landscape. And so we're trying to find ways and avenues for allowing people to do that experimentation without it costing a fortune because if you try something and you like it, hopefully you'll come back and try the real thing as a wedge of cheese. Obviously, it's only just hitting the shelves now, but have you had any early reaction to it? Yes, yeah, it's, it's probably being its third year this year of kind of a small local trial within a 10-mile radius of our, our office and a bit of a, a press piece three years ago to a softer launch last year and then it's it's everywhere again this year the reaction continues to be phenomenal we've had people writing from america new zealand uh, last night australia where can they get hold of something and i think it just comes back to that point at the beginning around cheese is actually a food group that is extremely emotive for people people have got high engagement levels with it and so if you can take what is a loved product to begin with and put it into formats and occasions that people can see ah, actually this has got relevance to me 
in my day-to-day life in a way that probably the category as a whole has started to be quite static. World Fruit Poland was held in Warsaw recently and dairy reporter was at the event talking to companies from around the region and those from other areas looking to expand into the huge market in Eastern Europe that not only includes Poland but also the Baltic states of Latvia, Lithuania and Estonia as well as Romania, Hungary, Moldova, Bulgaria, Czech Republic, Slovakia and Ukraine and Belarus. One company looking to break into that market is the Chinese company BioGrowing, which was at the event for the first time. It specialises in probiotics and was exhibiting its range of probiotic powders and capsules and probiotic yoghurt mixes at the event. The Shanghai-based company, which now has three probiotic production facilities, another one that's hard to say, was established in 2006 and has expanded its business scope from supplement formulations to dairy, functional foods and agricultural probiotics. At the event, we spoke with Mihai Titianar, International Business Division Business Representative. I first asked for a bit of background information on BioGrowing. Yeah, so BioGrowing is one of the largest uh, uh, manufacturers of probiotics from China. We are based in Shanghai. And yeah, we produce a very, very wide range of probiotic products. Some of the probiotics that we produce uh, can be used in the dairy industry. Basically, we produce starters for yogurts. And then we have a large selection of products. We have, uh, for instance, uh, these products that uh, can be used by the end consumer at home for producing yogurt. So basically, you have to put this starter in one liter of milk at a temperature of around 40 degrees using a, a machine that uh, keeps the milk at the temperature and then six hours later or seven hours later you're going to have a fresh 100% natural uh, yogurt yeah so you it depends depending on the number of strains that you use uh, inside uh, you'll have different flavors of uh, yogurt yeah we also have some special applications where we also introduce milk powder and you just have to add water and repeat the process add everything inside the uh, yogurt maker and then yeah six hours later you have a delicious uh, yogurt with different flavors and of course a lot of probiotics which will colonize your intestines and yeah will boost your health yeah so is this this is for like a just the consumer to do, to make their own or is it for companies to make and yeah, sell? Yeah, this is for uh, end consumers, but we also uh, produce starters for industrial use, as you can see uh, as you can see here. Yeah, so basically, yeah, we produce starters for DVS for companies that produce very very large uh, quantities of uh, of yogurt. Okay, and, and where do you sell to? Uh, we sell in 48 countries and when it comes about yogurts, our main markets are um, South America, Western Europe and uh, Middle East. Okay. And, yes. and would it be clean label? Yes, it's all natural. Yeah. There's basically only the, the, the bacteria inside, nothing okay. else, absolutely nothing else. Yeah, yeah. So it's very clean, very natural. Okay, very good. Yes, the, the yogurts that you usually buy in industry are uh, um, from the supermarkets are um, have a lot of uh, substance substances that are not very good for the uh, consumer but the yogurt that you do at home are very healthy right, so it's just that that and milk really then yeah yeah and, yeah. and whatever flavor yes 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 yeah yeah yeah, yeah. 
Okay. And uh, what what brings you to World Food in, in Poland? Well, personally, I'm in charge with the Central and Eastern European markets. So Poland is one of the most uh, important markets for me, and we really hope to expand our business here in Poland. And we've learned about these exhibitions a, a few months ago, so we, yeah, we've just decided to to come here, and we really we really hope we could yeah. Uh, develop our business here right. and uh, Poland is also a good uh, country to come first and then uh, to enter other markets right yeah, other markets right. from the European Union but even from nearby countries like Belarus or Ukraine usually the companies here have very good connections in Belarus and Ukraine yeah. but also other EU countries such as Romania Bulgaria uh, Slovak Slovakia yeah 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 very yeah. big market yeah, and this is the first time you've been here? Yeah, it's the first time. Okay. Yeah, and hopefully not the last time. And now it's time for our weekly look at what's happening in the global dairy markets with INTL FC Stone's Liam Fenton. Buffer came under pressure this week in quarter two. Uh, it dropped about 150 euros to the 42.75 level. Uh, quarter three also dropped from the 4,600 level to around 44.75 euros per ton. This seems to have been as a result of disappointment at the latest German supermarket contract for April being agreed at the 4,000 euros a ton. Cream also seems to have followed this drop from the 5,100 level last week to closer to 4,500 this week. The view seems to be still abundant supply of milk on the way given mild winter spring weather but we are hearing murmurings from some plants that milk supply is not quite as strong as last year or as expected. Skimmel powder, on the other hand, seems to be stronger, with quarter two up from the 1900 euro per tonne to 1960 level. On the future side, this seems to have been initiated by trade coming back on the buy side and also end users looking to cover. Whey has remained relatively constant at the 770 level. Thanks, Liam. INTL FC Stone provides risk management and margin hedging programs and services, as well as OTC hedging tool and M&A advisory services to the global dairy industry. And that's it for another week. Hopefully you'll join us again next time after you've ordered your blue cheese eggs. Until then, thanks for listening.